Welcome to The Griot's Remedy, a book loudly production, part of Pecan Tree Creative Solutions. This is where authors, coaches, and mental health professionals gather around the mic to explore themes brought to life in fictional works. What will they pull out of the bag on this episode? Keep it locked right here to find out. The Griot's Remedy is designed to be an entertaining and insightfully creative exploration of life issues through the lens of characters written in fiction and creative nonfiction stories and excerpts of full versions of scripts written for the stage or film. Thoughts, comments, and observations by the host, coaches, counselors, and therapists are not to be construed as personal advice or direction. Here is your host, author, publisher, and award-winning playwright, E. Claudette Freeman. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back with episode two of season two of The Griot's Remedy. So glad that you decided to join us today. Hope you enjoyed last week's episode, an excerpt from The Way My Mama Loves Me. Very wonderful conversation. I'm I'm still on the fence, though, about Bessie. I still think Bessie should have just kind of shattered that wall and embraced her daughter differently. But okay, I'll get over it, y'all. I'll get over it. Um... Of course, you know, we can't start this episode without introducing this, these wonderful um, ladies who are my, I don't want to say partners in crime. They should really come up with a better term. Partners in exploration. How about that? Partners in exploration. Um, well, we start, we'll start with Renee Audrick. Renee is a board certified professional life coach, counselor, author, and meditation and mindfulness trainer. We're about to talk about that meditation one thing, one day, Renee, and how to stop my mind from going 100 different ways. But she holds an MBA in business management and organization and has over 30 years of experience as a business professional with expertise in relationships, training, leadership, caregiving, and organization. She's the CEO of Meditational Moment and Meditational Academy, established to counsel, educate, train, and inspire individuals to incorporate meditation in their lives as a catalyst for God alignment. And you can connect with Renee at meditationalmoment.com for bookings and appointments and to find all of her social media information. Weena Wise is a licensed couple and family therapist, certified professional coach, clinical writer, and public speaker in the D.C. metropolitan area. She's the owner of Covenant Counseling and Consulting and Covenant Coaching Academy with over 15 years of experience helping individuals couples and families achieve the personal and relationship results they desire. Visit covenanttherapy.com for more information and to purchase her in-home session series, schedule an appointment or book wiener for your next event. And of course, again, um, connect with her on social media. Welcome, ladies. Welcome. Hey, hey. Hey. So today we're we're going to jump into a piece. Um, it's a short piece, but I think it's a piece that will be able to um, really gain some insight from. And, and we've so our themes that we're going to be discussing this week from this piece include misplaced guilt. That's a good one. Misplaced guilt. I like risk seeking behaviors and maladaptive guilt. So we're going to have to talk about the difference in those two. Okay. Low self-esteem, denial, trauma bonds, self-neglect, and judgment. That's a lot. That's a lot. But you know, the thing that I like about the Griot's Remedies lady is that you all um, do an amazing job of pulling out these themes from these stories that so far these first two seasons are things that have, you know, 
um, come through that creative mind and that creative energy of mine. So I, I promise you every episode, I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> I wrote all of that and that? Really? Um, We're not making this up. That's right. <laughs> Got a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about that? How about that? So I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so let's get let's set up this particular piece. Um, this piece is called Casey's Gone Away. And uh it is set in the height of the AIDS epidemic. So that's probably like what mid-90s or so, mid to late 90s or so, or or maybe a little later. And the tragedy of it stumbles onto a woman's path. So on an afternoon of grocery shopping, she reintroduces herself to a once stunningly beautiful woman who has been ravaged by life and the illness. Tracy runs into an old neighborhood friend, KC, who forces her to deal with the reality of that old saying, there but by the grace of God go I. Um, And so this piece is presented by myself and Jean Archer. Let's dive into it. KC's gone away. She closed her eyes and rested against the trembling porch railing. The sun seemed to dance against her brown skin, highlighting wisps of curly hair on skinny yet muscular arms and a pair of tomboy legs. Her rich black hair pulled tight into a ponytail hung just above her waist. She somehow reminded me of the black baby dolls at Grandway Superstore. What you reading? She asked, lightly touching the cover of If Bill Street Could Talk. It's a book by James Baldwin. I've read it four times. It was the first time we looked at each other face to face. Her eyes grew deep in questioning. Why? Must be full of a lot of hard words. What's your name? I asked, again pretending not to really be aware of her. Katrina Coles. You can call me KC. Your name Tracy, isn't it? Why ask if you already know? Just being polite. Is that a hard book or what? She closed her eyes to the sun again. No, I just like it. It's a love story. Want me to read it to you? I don't care. She made herself more comfortable on the porch, moving into the shade, looking for a spot where the heated cement porch wouldn't burn her thighs. That summer, KC, the kids in the neighborhood and I did everything together. Like most brats on summer vacation, we played the old games like hopscotch, developed new ones, and challenged each other in our own Summer Olympics. KC was the fastest runner. By September, she had developed the strongest pair of legs and was determined to be the star runner and jumper on the park's track team. And that whole summer, KC would find her way onto our porch each time she saw me reading. The sun-bathed brown girl that shared the word to Baldwin with me that hot summer is not the same creature that stumbled onto my path the other day. KC was gone. It was a startling reality. The beautiful girl with thick black hair and bracelet grace wrists was now the type of person I made quick turns to avoid at traffic lights. God himself wanted me to see KC like this, to see the way the torture and rape of her life dressed her in death's clothes. Hey, lady, let a man get a dollar for a burger. You could do that, can't you? She did look like a man. The long ponytail made way for a scalp close cut and patches of scaling, pussing sores. Her muscular legs hid beneath scars, her bony ankles strengthened by a pair of high-top sneakers, one with no strings. 
except for the protruding belly that hung over the band on her shorts, she could have easily been mistaken for a man. Come on, Casey, get in. I reached over to unlock the door. I'll get you something to eat. Scrambling to the passenger door, she spoke to a friend that only she could see. Not knowing the woman who had fallen into my path again, I knew it must have been the unseen friend that brought me to her recollection. You Tracy, huh? Girl, I don't usually look this bad, you know. It's, you know how it is. I watched her knock dust from a tattered shirt. I saw her momentarily embarrassed by the dark sores that were scattered about her. I trembled at the sight of her trying to cover the scar like a scar that appeared to be from a bullet. Then I struggled to hold my quickening breaths at a normal rate when she tried to pull her shirt over her pregnant belly. What are you doing out here, Casey? Where are you living? She looked away from me shyly. Oh, I work out here. Carry people groceries and stuff. Please man every now and then. You know, these jokers always did like me because I be doing them right. Where is your family? She looked around the car as though the door locks, the ashtrays might as well have been her family. Then she cast her eyes out the window. They don't have too much to do with me, especially since these doors started showing up. My boyfriend shot me one time. You know about that? We turned into the parking lot of the grocery store. Casey danced in her seat. I touched her shoulder softly. She pulled away. In my heart of hearts, I knew that it had been for ever since anyone had touched her with good intention. She was scared. I slowly reached my hand toward her stomach. When she did not pull away, I stroked it gently. I'm just glad I got a chance to see you again, girl. I don't care how you look. I'm going to give you my address and my phone number. You can come see me anytime you want to. And I'll take you home so I'll know where you live and then I can come see you too. Aisle by aisle, Casey drifted between her version of her reality and the past she remembered. Sometimes I recognized her, sometimes I didn't care to. Home for Casey was a rundown shack, surely condemned by the city. For what it was, though it was clean and comfortable. We sat and shared a bag of chips reminiscing. Casey wondered aloud about the funny pain she'd been feeling in her stomach. I, finding it hard to hear that she was unaware of the child growing inside her, made her promise that she would go to a clinic because I too had had those pains and they would get worse in a couple of months. I stood and gathered my purse from the floor, pulled my keys from my chains and smiled. Tell you what, Casey, I'll come by day after tomorrow and read for you. Deal? Deal. Casey never came home the day I went by there. I looked for her on the corner where I'd seen her that day. Two months have passed and I still have not found her. The shack she called home has been torn down. The broken recliner that once sat inside now sits next to a sign that says, No Trespassing. Funny, I thought, staring at the sign. Is that the message I gave to Casey? No Trespassing. And that, ladies, is Casey's Gone Away. So, um, yes. So this piece has a lot of interesting little nuggets. But before we get into the nuggets, there were a couple of themes around 
guilt. And I want to kind of get some understanding around or some definitions around the two types of guilt that were listed as things. So the first is misplaced guilt and then maladaptive guilt. So explain to me the, the, the differences in those. Well, for me, misplaced guilt is guilt that you just are taking on um, and it's kind of exaggerated. You're just kind of taking it on, um, not really knowing the, the origin of something, but you're just saying it's my fault. Um, maladaptive guilt. And I, I took this when she talked about the, the connotation of how she expressed her boyfriend shooting her as though it was my fault that he shot me. Like, you know, my boyfriend shot me, you know, like he, he should have shot me or he could have shot, you know, he could have did something else, but he shot me. And so she's taking on that assault as though it was something she deserved. So that's maladaptive mm. guilt. Um, yeah, because yeah, she said it almost like it was a, a good thing, a badge of honor. Right, exactly. Like, it, this was just a thing, you know, and so that that's, you know, the difference of the two. Okay, so let's let's dive into to um, Casey and Tracy's story, right? One of the things, and and I don't know why it jumped out at me now. One of the things um, Tracy said, and I and and I jotted it down because I was like, oh my gosh, you know what? I, I think unfortunately that's kind of the way we kind of see people sometimes that we knew when we were younger, and then we see them again, and they've gone you know, through very difficult and traumatic um, life experiences, whether it's whether it's something um, like alcoholism or, or drug abuse or, you know, homelessness. And we think, you know, um, I think she said she she's not the same creature, right? She, she's the kind of person that I avoid mm-hmm. at, at traffic lights. And yet here she is. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, for me, I kind of imagine that's that you, you have that moment where you decide, do you, do you look at this, this, this person as, as what she said, a creature that you're going to avoid, or do you realize that this is somebody I used to know? I grew up with this girl. I, 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 you know, I literally ran with this girl mm-hmm. and now to see her like this. And, and I think that's why I said in the, the introduction is, is, is that, you know, there, but by the grace of God, yeah. you know? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about how KC is embracing her present as incoherent as she may be at times. She is very much living in the moment, but Tracy is still measuring Casey by the past. Mm -hmm. She knows her to be that little girl with the long, thick hair. And she remembers that summer where they really bonded over reading and running around, jumping, playing with the neighborhood kids. And it's important that Tracy is seeing her in this moment and really questioning what's happened to you, but it appears that a lot of time has passed mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. them being those little girls to now. And I think that's that's really important. Um, in this moment, that guilt that Renee is talking about comes up when she's trying to reconcile, is this a safe person or not a safe person? Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. Uh, and then, just, when, and yeah, go ahead. Go and then, when she comes to the resolve that okay, 
I don't know. She don't look safe, but let me just extend myself. Cause so she goes by saying, I'm going to, I can come by and read the book. And she goes and says, let me give you my address. Let me give you my phone number. Because in the back of her mind, even though she sees something different, she wants to experience that old person the way mm-hmm. she was. And so she's extending her. So she's doing all of these things. And then it also goes back to that guilt because the very last thing she says is, but did I put up a no trespassing sign? So is the fact that I can't find her my fault? Did I give her signs or did I, even though I said it with my lips, come and call me and here's my address, but did my gestures or anything that I protruded outwardly mm-hmm. show her that she was not welcome? There's so much to unpack here with Casey's world and with Tracy's world. I think you're spot on with that, that, you know, she realizes that she may have given some impression Mm -hmm. that Casey may have decided, told her, yeah, this can't be what it was. But on the flip side, Casey is in a completely different headspace. So for Tracy to have taken that on simply because she runs into this woman Mm -hmm. on a street corner. And I think that Tracy is doing the most. Yes. That's just me. (laughs) Yes, she is. Um, Why do you say that? Why do you say that, Rena? Well, clearly, you know, folks are dancing around it. Like we just let folks into the car every day and we just you know, give them our address. And um, then we go on over to their space and we sit and read books with them. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily oh, yeah. Yeah. the way folks move through life at this yeah. moment. There were so many different ways that mm-hmm. Tracy could have tried to interact with Casey. Everything happens at levels. Mm-hmm. And she chose to go into hyperdrive. And that mm-hmm. may have been the reason why Casey said, look, I don't even know you anymore. Mm-hmm. This isn't just about me uh, potentially being an unsafe person. I, you might not be a safe right. person. Mm-hmm. You can't judge a book by its cover mm-hmm. in that way. So mm-hmm. when Casey decided that she wasn't going to be there that day to hang out, I think that was within her right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cause yeah. she, she kept giving her like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, they, they want to get with me, meaning the men, like she was exposing to her who I am. And she was looking for her to, you know, comment or say something, but she was like, oh girl, just come to my house. Just here's my phone number. And okay. You don't, you see me, mm-hmm. you know, aren't you paying she, so attention? She couldn't, it's almost like she couldn't deal with her from the reality. So she exactly. dealt with her from a, from a place that she could be okay with dealing with her from. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. They were having two different conversations mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Absolutely. I agree. And and Tracy gave her a tone. Where is your family? Mm-hmm. She felt sorry for, oh, you poor victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and even those few words could be quite telling yeah. as she is investigating what happened to the Casey that I know. Mm-hmm. Casey is telling her in real time, this is who I am. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I think you're, you're right. It's almost like Tracy's like totally ignoring it because, you know, first Casey approaches her and says, can a man get, you know, can a man get him? And then the next thing, you know, she, you know, she's talking she, so she's having one identity moment and then the, the, the yes. a couple of sentences mm-hmm. later, she's having another identity moment and Tracy's not responding to anything. She's just like, 
oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get you something to eat. Mm-hmm. So I can, so it's almost like I can, oh, I, I see what you're saying. It's like, I can deal with that layer. I can deal with that level of it. Yes. I can, yeah. I can feed you, but I'm not, I'm not going to dare to get to the level of conversation where it's clear to me that you can be a little delusional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like how you pointed out that Casey has embraced a different identity. Yeah. Can a man get a few dollars mm-hmm. and I have a low cut Caesar now <laughs> for my hair. I have on, you know, basketball shorts and high top sneakers. Mm-hmm. I, I'm fully in this world. Mm-hmm. And Tracy sees her and she thinks the thought, wait a minute, you do look like a man. But the way she treats her after that indicates that there's something off about that reality. Yeah. This needs to be fixed mm-hmm. and not necessarily that piece of it, but l- let me come by. Let me see where you're living. Let's go get some food. Let's do all these things to try to put a new community around you. And mm-hmm. I'm going to be the first person in that community. Mm-hmm. And Casey's like, okay, I'm here now for mm-hmm. the moment. Mm-hmm. Two it. days from now. I may not be here in a moment. Exactly. Exactly. And it it may be that I might not be here because of these sores that are on my arms. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I think, you know, Tracy, again, did that level thing where she, you know, she has that moment of compassion with Casey, where she's like, you know, she's telling her, oh, you know, I've I've had pains before. You're probably going to have pain. So I'm going to make you promise to go to the doctor. And then and and when I heard it, I was like, well, now that makes sense, because how do you make somebody that's clearly delusional and struggling with, you know, not just a, a physical ailment, but she's struggling um, likely emotionally. So she's not always mentally functioning properly. Mm-hmm. How do you, and, and, and probably doesn't really know she's pregnant, mm-hmm. you know? So how do you, how do you then trust that person to, to make an appointment and go to a doctor or go to a clinic? Well, well, during, yeah, you know, during the excerpt, I could not tell if it was mental health right. issues, substance abuse issues, something related to the HIV AIDS. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things, you know, that that could have played a part in why KC was showing up the way she was emotionally mm-hmm. and mentally. But I, I couldn't quite discern what it was. Mm-hmm. Which was okay. the driving. That's true. Because she she even said that her family was estranged from her because of the sores. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but is it the lifestyle that led to the sores? Like right. so it was so much, it was so much there and, and not knowing what why was she ostracized. And then because of that, is right. That because Casey reason? never said I would, you know, Casey never said, you know, I have AIDS. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. She mm-hmm. just said these mm-hmm. sores. Mm-hmm. And you know, even in not knowing whether or not she was pregnant. And if he, for for me here is um, Casey having a conversation and Tracy looking at her in a place. And diagnosing her. And diagnosing her and <laughs> allowing herself to come in like a rescuer. Like, let me rescue mm-hmm. you. Let me, let mm-hmm. me help you when I, ha- when you haven't even asked me for help because I see what I see. Okay, but Casey is not saying, I and I don't help. really know what I see. Right, exactly, because you're going by assumption. You're going by um, the things that she's not saying, 
you know, just like she said, make me a promise that you go to the doctor. Well, did I say that I needed to go to the doctor? Did I say that I need your help? Like there's a space there that we have to be so careful when um, we see an individual that when we run into anyone and there are some things that we may detect, but unless we either ask or wait for them to tell us, we can't assume because assumptions causes a divide. And what did it do? It caused Casey not to show up because she started to look at her and say, okay, you're assuming all of these things. You're making me make promises. You're, and I'm not even there. I'm not even in the same ship that you're in. Right. I'm right. in a different, right. I'm in a different ship. Right. And so, so Casey said, I, yeah. I, I really just wanted something to eat. To eat. <laughs> exactly. And That's I didn't all. want to go to the grocery store. I just wanted you I to give me the money so I could choose. Yeah. Right. I just, I, that's, I just really wanted something to eat, but, and, and I, I feel what you're saying, Renee, because Tracy, uh, or I mean, Tracy jumped in there and she was like, Oh, I'm going to put on my superhero cape. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to save yeah. the day. You know, yes. never mind the fact that I really don't know what day it is. I don't know, you know, I don't know how we got to this day. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, what's going on with Casey because she did. She didn't ask if, you know, have you been sick lately? Have Are you feeling okay? Mm-hmm. You know, she asked the very fundamental things. Where do you live? You know, where is your family? Mm-hmm. In other words, it, it's almost like she was saying, why would they let you be like this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so, so it sounds like. Um, sometimes when we're trying to be the rescuer, we can be trying to be the rescuer because we're actually doing it from a place of judgment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's that judgment. Right. Yep. And, and that judgment drives her. away. Yeah. Go ahead, Winnie. She yeah. touched her. She physically touched her. Mm-hmm. And even though she may have been touching her gently to comfort her, I don't necessarily remember the full context of it, but Casey pulled away mm-hmm, and she mm-hmm. said, oh, I know she probably pulled away because she probably hasn't been touched, touched. kindly mm-hmm. in years. Mm-hmm. Um, and she inferred from Casey saying that maybe sometimes she'll please a man or, mm-hmm. you know, engage in certain behaviors that that must mean that I have not received any real love or safe love or healthy touch in so long. But Casey had every right to pull away. Right. I haven't seen you since we were eight. Right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, we were kids. We were kids in the summer, and and now right. you're, you're, you know you're reaching over, you're touching me. I don't, you know, for Stop all I like, but, you know me, right? You but know it, me, know you know, yeah. right? It could be like you know we did that earlier. You, you, I don't, I don't know that you, you. don't mean me harm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Correct. Exactly. You know, and so that raises an interesting thing when you when you encounter people. Um, that you believe have have gone through a difficult season in their life um how do we how do we not move in judgment and how do we approach to see if 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 our if our help is even wanted or needed or if we're just intruding on something we have absolutely no idea about the jump on the other side of the coin she visibly sees that Casey has gone through some things. Mm-hmm. Right. The sores, the no shoelace in the shoe. She's asking for money to get mm-hmm. something to eat. 
the belly is protruding. A lot's happening visibly that gives Tracy an indicator that life may not be kind at this moment to Casey. So to Mm -hmm. be fair, for her to have a curiosity about an old pal that she used to hang out with, that's that's normal. That's, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's mm-hmm. normal and reasonable. Right. What happened to you? I know you, mm-hmm. or I used to know you, mm-hmm. right? But you have to be slow to warm up to yeah. situations like that because mm-hmm. you really cannot assess just by looking at a person whether or not they're really in danger, what supports they have around them, um, or not. And so she could have given her a couple dollars for food, or she could have asked her can we stay in contact with each other from mm-hmm. her vehicle mm-hmm. or jumped out, mm-hmm. gave her a couple of dollars. It's so good to see you, you know, let's exchange some type of contact information. How can I connect with you again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the process needs to be a bit more organic and she needs to be more curious than assumptive. That's absolutely mm-hmm. right. Absolutely right. I, I, I think just to agree with that is meeting them where they are. She was at a space where she only wanted food. And so meeting her in that space, well, here's a couple of dollars for food today, but what about tomorrow? And maybe offering a, a space or a place or a time where I can bring you food tomorrow. Yes. And allow that to be an avenue because you can't Forced now, she's assessing all the other things that is going on with her and trying to help her in her pregnancy, trying to help her in her house, trying to help, right? But that's not where she wanted to meet you. She wanted right. to meet you in giving her some nourishment, some food, or some money to, to whatever. And so, meeting her where she is and allowing her to invite you into that space is a way to be able to um, be invited into help and for her to be able to ask for help. Because and you know you what? See, I think that mm-hmm. that's a great point, Renee. That's a great point is to meet people where they are and wait to be invited. Yes. 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 That's the only way to ensure that you'll have a chance to stick around. Because Absolutely. when you come in too hot, it can be too intense for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how the excerpt highlighted that when she finally got a look at where Tracy was laying her, I'm sorry, Casey was laying her head. She says, you know, but it was clean, mm. but mm. it was comfortable, right? Like there was a surprise there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, if you're curious and you're just taking in or assessing what's going on, you go, oh, okay. You do have some resources in place here, mm-hmm. right? There mm-hmm. are some things that are going going well, and maybe there are other areas that are not going so well. Now she comes back and, and says that a couple days or weeks later, the place has been demolished and maybe Casey has moved on, but you just have no frame of reference for what was happening prior to you stepping back into this person's life. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. You have right. no idea how this woman gets from pillar to post right. day to day. Right. Right. For all you know, Casey could have just found that place the day before. Correct. And cleaned it up and, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. So what we do know, though, is that Tracy came in so hot and pushed her way into every corner of this person's life that it was almost predictable that Mm -hmm. two days later, Casey would have made her escape. She Mm -hmm. was going to be nowhere to be found because that was a Mm -hmm. lot of intervention and a a lot of, of FaceTime and exposure 
over a short period of time and it wasn't asked for. Right. Right. It sounds like some type of um like almost some type of savior syndrome. Oh, mm. I, you know, I've I've got to save the day. I've got to save you. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and 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 even, you know, going back to what Renee said earlier, she came, she swooped in there, she wanted to rescue her. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the question for me is what makes us do that? What what because it seems mm-hmm. to me that there had to be something um in Tracy beyond just the this is somebody I used to know that would make her like when Queen said do the most. <laughs> you know, do the do the most, right? And 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 so I wonder about that. Was there something that Tracy needed in that interaction? Well, from the beginning in the story, Tracy has been highlighted as a, a strong personality. Mm-hmm. She took on that role the day they met. I'm reading if Bill Street could talk. Do you want right. me to read it read to, to you? you? Yes, yes. Right? Casey's like, I don't care. And so here we go. Now mm-hmm. we're reading if Bill Street could talk for the rest of the summer. Every time I sit on this porch and read, Casey will come over and, you know, sit and listen. So they did have a, a bit of a relationship where Casey did sit under her or at mm. her feet and mm. and take in information. And that was the start of I lead, you follow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When and she, you know, it's, it's yeah. interesting you say that, Wina, because um, I, I totally missed that. So it was clearly mm-hmm. very subtle. It was just a, very, a conditioning. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It was wow. definitely empowering, I think, to Tracy to have Casey as the captive audience. This is how Casey came into the fold with the neighborhood kids. And she she showed so much ambition and promise. She wanted to be the fastest runner and the best jumper on the school's team eventually. Mm-hmm. So again, it was reasonable for Tracy to remember just how much fire Casey had in her and how she was definitely in the fold and she seemed to have a lot going for her when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Asking the questions that she asked about how a person gets from there to where she found her on that street corner outside the grocery store, that's that's pretty understandable. But as Renee said, after the curiosity, you still have to meet that person in their own yeah. world where they are. Yeah. And and figure out if they want you to intervene mm-hmm. in the ways that you would like to mm-hmm. or how they would want you to intervene before you go back into the past, assuming that we're just going to pick up where we left off. Yeah, That's exactly, exactly. what Tracy did. I'll come over and I'll read to you again. Yeah. How yeah. old are we? 30? Yeah, exactly. I'm, right. Exactly. It, it, it's like she's got some other stuff going on. This, this is probably not the time to crack a book. Right. Right. <laughs> This is not that, right? I like what you said, you know, when you said pick up where you left off, because, you know, in that space, I still see Tracy as holding on to maybe where did I leave you off? Where did Um, I leave you off in a relationship that now I'm like, this is where you ended up. And maybe since you were already following me, maybe I left off at the wrong space and I'm feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. And so now I have to come back and get you and save you. 
So that's on that side. And on the flip side of that, a person can't be saved unless they want to be saved. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so her forcing her salvation on her, like, let me come here. I am to save the day. And she Mm -hmm. hasn't gotten to that place where she's reaching out. You know, that's the house that she was at could have been her Tuesday pit stop. Right. And she, you know, she could have known. And that's why you haven't connected with me in all this time, because I'm only here on Tuesdays. Correct. You know, and so there's so much there in the sense of not pushing ourselves or forcing ourselves Mm -hmm. to help someone that is not at a place of wanting to be helped. Right. And I think it's too that, um, and we've talked about this in, in previous episodes, is, is that Tracy wasn't really listening to what Casey was saying. Mm, not at all. Like Casey said, I don't usually look this bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And Casey probably was speaking true. She Maybe she doesn't look normal, doesn't normally look as bad as she looked that day Tracy encountered her. But Tracy didn't hear that. Mm-hmm. All she heard, she listened through the lens of, I need to be the rescuer. I need to be the savior. Mm. You yeah. know, even tone of voice. Casey said, you know, I've got a job. Mm. I deliver groceries. I might please a man. I just, mm-hmm. but I'm making it. And mm-hmm. you all pointed out earlier that she said, you know, my boyfriend shot me, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is an yeah. indicator that on some levels I have embraced my reality. Mm-hmm. The things that may em- embarrass you or the things that make you feel away. This is my oh, life. Man. I'm out yep. here in it. Yep. Yep. She seems a little bit more secure in who she is than, yeah. than her girlfriend. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. How about Even that? Now that's it, interesting. You know, yeah. Right. Like, that's very interesting. So the level of our self-security is is really based on how we how we stand in our reality. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Now, yeah, even good. when when Tracy asked, where is your family? And she said, well, they don't come around much or they don't want much to do with me now that the sores have come. Mm-hmm. She didn't say that as if it, it was hitting her in that moment and paralyzing her. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that she doesn't have grief about her condition, mm-hmm. but if Tracy had been listening, she would have realized that it would have been difficult on every level to try to build some stable connection to her because she wasn't necessarily always in the same mental and emotional space. Mm-hmm. Even in that conversation, she's here, she's there, she's mm-hmm. everywhere. She's whispering to a friend that nobody can yeah. see. <laughs> And this makes Tracy go for the gusto. Well, let mm-hmm. me try to get in here and be a consistent person in your life. That's an indicator to a mental health professional. It's going to be really difficult for us to have a, a stable conversation and to, to actually be connected mm-hmm. until another level of assessment happens. Yes. Yes. She has to really, you know, pull back and, and look at what she's really seeing. Even the things are not being said instead of just trying to dive in and edit that's I'm talking about Tracy just try to dive in and you know really make a change like are you going to really make a change or are you just trying to change because you're feeling guilty about what you see you're feeling mm. bad about what you see um instead of you know being in a place where you really are meeting her where you really are listening and hearing 
she seems okay with where she is. You know, although she may not, she like you said, she may be delusional, yeah. but she's definitely okay. She's okay with the fact that she's not connected with family. She's okay with the, the job that she has. She's right. okay with her boyfriend that shot her. She's okay. Right, how she identifies, yeah. you know, in terms of her gender, the way she's wearing her hair. She's exactly. made some choices. She's, and she seems to be okay with it. But I, obviously, Tracy's not. And so we, this is something that we do often. We want to put our own requirements of our own selves on other Mm -hmm. people. Well, this isn't the way you should look. This isn't the way you should, because this is what I want, or this is how I am. And so it becomes becomes judgment and what's approved by me. Absolutely. And so we have to be very careful of that. Okay, so let's take a quick break, ladies, and then we come back. I have a couple of questions for you. So we'll be right back on the Creos Remedy. Broken, fragmented, searching for wholeness. Does that sound like you? Could guided meditation, online self-paced and live courses help you become unstuck and get onto a steady and consistently forward-moving path? Renee Oderick, founder of Meditational Moment Academy, is poised to assist you in strengthening and revitalizing your mental health through teaching, mentoring, life coaching, and counseling. Discover more at meditationalmoment.com or connect on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for at Meditational Moment. Let your journey to wholeness begin today. The Wow Effect. If you want to increase your potential, live your best life, and win, then it's time to apply this balm that will heal your soul. Author Anita Faye Wilson has penned this body of work to help women and men flush out negative words, thoughts, and limiting beliefs and move from brokenness to wholeness. Available at all book outlets, Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, and more. You can also visit AnitaFayWilson.com for a personally autographed copy. The perfect antidote guaranteed to change your mindset from bondage to freedom. And that's the wow effect. Get yours today. Wow. Be blessed and be free. We hope you're enjoying the show so far. Let's dive back into the Griot's Remedy from Book Loudly, a division of Pecan Tree Creative Solutions. And remember, you can always drop a comment on our Facebook or Instagram page. Look for Pecan Tree Pub. So we're back. We're talking about the story. Casey's gone away where uh, Tracy has encountered an old friend um, on the street, uh, who who she has kind of assessed needs rescuing and saving, and so she swooped in and she's put on her cape and she's going to to save the day. So, I have a couple of questions based on the conversation we were having going into the break. Why do some of us feel compelled to always rescue? Right. And I say that I have a um, a, a friend of mine and I, I always tell her I, I love her, bless her heart. But she is going to she's going to swoop in and rescue whoever she thinks needs rescuing. And she she tends to do it. Um, she, she does it because she has a, a love of people and she has a love of ministry. But I often tell her you you are not purposed to minister to everybody. You're not purposed to to step into everybody's situation, right? Mm-hmm. And so there have been times when when um her feelings have been hurt because she decided she was going to rescue or she was going to to go into a situation and she was going to do X, y, and Z. and people were 
offended or people were were thrown off. Um, they felt like she was intruding. And, and I've said to her, you know, you have to you have to learn to ask people if you can help. And if people say no, understand that they absolutely have a right to say no. You don't then say, oh, but I can do no. They've already said no. Yeah. You don't posture yourself so they feel like you're forcing yourself or your help on them, right? And the other part of it is if they allow you to help, help within the boundaries that they set. Yeah. Mm. Right? Help in the boundaries that they set. So if they say, um, well, I really, you know, times have been hard. I really have had a hard time feeding the kids. Buying groceries would be great. Mm-hmm. Okay. They've given you the boundaries. Buy groceries. Mm. Right? Right. So buying groceries means if you, you know, give them the money so that they can buy groceries. Or if you go to the grocery store with them, um, don't don't go into that place where you want to kind of make suggestions for how she should shop or how they should shop. Right. Right. And and those types of things. But she she's she's very much a Tracy. And some so when you said she's doing the most, I was like, oh my God, that sounds just like her. Um, <laughs> because you know, so what what is that thing that makes makes us want to just rescue everybody, pick up everybody and, and rescue them? I think it's a, a combination of things, but <laughs> we'll start with yeah. the fact that some people need to be needed. Yeah, absolutely. They have a very strong need. It's almost like a well mm-hmm. mm. that does not get filled unless they feel needed, useful, or helpful. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult because if you are predispositioned to be that way and you grow up around people who teach you that servitude is godliness or Mm. being a servant is humility, then Mm -hmm. it further perpetuates that you're not doing your job or fulfilling your role unless you are constantly seeking to help, do, serve, and need. Yeah. That sounds like that could get very That's, dangerous. Yeah. That can. So it's exhausting mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. when you don't learn how to balance your needs, other needs apart from being needed with the needs of other people, then you find yourself at the bottom of the list and you neglect caring for yourself. You neglect doing the things that you need to do to secure your own future and present. And then you can become resentful when other people have different boundaries than you. Yeah. Some people know how to show up and help, like you said, Claudette, Mm -hmm. and they have a limit to how much they help because if they help too much, then they have unhelped themselves. Oh, that part. Yes. 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 And I've unhelped myself a whole lot. I feel you right there. Right. Right. When when you don't have boundaries with serving other people's needs, and then you turn around and ask folks to show up in exactly the same way that you would show up for them, you Mm. can can unfortunately become angry that Mm -hmm. other people know their limits, Mm -hmm. but you don't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And even even with that need to wanting to feel needed there, I I still see that there is, you know, something even deeper than that. And sometimes 
individuals are just trying to fill in an empty space. Either they, yeah. uh, you know, have a, an estranged loved one or, you know, a, a failed relationship, or they have something that they're trying to compensate for in helping others. And so finding out the root of what that is, you know, finding out, okay, why do you feel as though you have to show up for everyone all the time? And it very well could be, I'm lonely. Yeah. It very well could be, I've been hurt before. So before someone else hurts me, let me just protect myself by only doing the things that I want to do. So I'm controlling the outcome, basically, Mm -hmm. because I'm only extending myself and doing the things that I want to do. And so it's a protective mechanism. It's, it's, you know, so much there and just finding out why, what does it do for you when you do for someone else? You know, what is it fulfilling? What is it satisfying in that? And helping the person uncover that because once they uncover that, then they can heal from it. And sometimes, Renee, you become so much of a cheerful and overly zealous giver because Mm. you're so uncomfortable being a receiver. Yes, absolutely. There are so many folks who are uncomfortable with being helped, but will Mm. break their necks. Neck, (laughs) yeah. To help you. And when those tables are turned, they will do anything to get out of the vulnerable position of being helped, even to the detriment of always needing to do for others before people can even get a request mm-hmm. out of their mouths. They're jumping to it so that they're not the person who's needing something. Yeah. Because think about it in that space of needing something is vulnerability. Yep. In that space of needing something is me opening up and waiting. There's a level of expectation. And if there's expectation, there's disappointment that could follow. Yes. And so I want to be the driver of the train. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, it's a derail any longer because I've already felt what that feels like. I've already been in that rut or that hole and I don't want to be in the, so I'll drive. I'll drive. Let me do it. Mm -hmm. I'll drive. Let me do it. And so that's that's what I keep seeing that like you're driving and you're not allowing anyone else to take control because you are only driving in the direction that you want to go in. So before the break, I think it was you, Renee, that was talking about um, Tracy kind of responding from a place of, of guilt. And so one of the things that I mm-hmm. uh, wrote down is if we act out of guilt or obligation, aren't we then being more self-serving than other serving? I believe that we are. Absolutely. So we're we're being more self-serving than really being of um, genuine help in a situation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we move in that place, though, are we then, you know, kind of like we said, aren't we then creating that that space where... um, we're unhelping ourselves and potentially even unhelping the situation that needs helping. <laughs> yes. Potentially. Well, we're, we're missing the mark basically. Yeah. We're, we're you know, the, the bullseye is right here in the center of my <laughs> eye, but we have captured the cheek, the shoulder, the elbow right. and everything else. And everything, missing, but right. <laughs> but we're missing the mark. And so when we miss the mark, Um, we may fill a void in other spaces in our life, but we missed the mark of being able to really help what 
you know, where the person needs to help the most. Exactly. So when we think about, as, as we kind of come to the, the close here, when we think about um, a situation like, like, like Tracy and Casey or, or any situation where, you know, we, we find somebody um, in, in a, in a situation where help may be needed and help may even be desired. Um, how, how do we, how do we recondition ourselves uh, Wena, to not always be the rescuer, but to sometimes maybe just be, um, for lack of a better term, the, the pointer. I could be the one to point you to different resources or refer you. Um, right. Yeah. I always envision it and describe it as a boxing match. You have to remember that the person is on the inside and they're the one fighting the opponent. You're mm. on the other side of the rings. <laughs> You're outside, mm-hmm. right? You don't get to come in until the bell. You don't get to do anything but squeeze the water in their mouth, towel them down. You're not actually in the ring fighting the fight with them. Yeah, mm, And that's often good. the problem. You jump in there with your gloves on and you're fighting the fight, but it's only a two-person match. You can't mm-hmm. be in there as the third person fighting. Mm. You're outside. You know, we, I'm, I'm going to play the advocate here. You know, because some some of our listeners who who were raised who were raised, um, like you said, in, in those in, environments where servitude is, is taught that it's godliness, so to hear something like that may sound like, oh, she's being sacrilegious. What, she, she, what she, I love. <laughs> she I think, come. She saying we should not be the hands and feet of God. No. no. What I love about <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> is that he knew when to retreat. When to do it. Yes. He always yes. knew to retreat. He would meet you at the well, like the woman at the well. He did mm-hmm. not get the water out for her though. Mm-hmm. He gave yeah. her some guidance. He talked her through it. Mm-hmm. He did not escort her back home and, and clean up the messiness with the men that she mm-hmm. had been, been with. Yeah. In every situation you mm. see biblically, Jesus knows where his work ends and where our work begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he reminds us in his word, come to me. Not let me go get you. Come to me. <laughs> come to me. Those that are heavy laden, come to me. And so that goes, and we have to remember that. Let them come to you and ask for what they need and then you help as best you can or provide them with the resources to get the help that they need well so this you know this has been very enlightening um yeah we we can't always play the rescuer you know Mm -hmm. We, we, and and I've, I've, I've been that person. I've, I've been that person. I remember when I was working in radio years ago and I was working at a radio station on, on South beach here in, in South Florida. And, um, a young lady showed up at the radio station one night. It's, I was working the overnight shift. Young lady showed up at the radio station. Um, she and her son had been put out of their place to stay. And, uh, and I let them into the station. Mm-hmm. And this would be Wena saying, okay, you were like Tracy. You did the You're most. Doing the most. <laughs> doing, doing the most. <laughs> doing the most. Um, mm-hmm. They had nowhere to go. So I actually took them home with me when I got off the air. 
Yeah. I took them home with me because in, in my head, I couldn't let her be wandering around South Beach with a little boy, you know, driving her car around or whatever. So I, I ended up taking them home with me. And the radio station that I worked for was owned by a church. So the next morning I called some of the girls at the church and I um and I said, Hey, you know, who do you guys refer people to when there's a problem with homelessness or whatever? And they said, What? What's going on? And so I explained this. They were like, You did what? Right. You yeah. you took them where? Yeah. yeah. And they were like, no, no, don't do that. And she, and, and I remember one of the girls said to me, I, I love your heart, but that was not wise. Mm-hmm. Mm. She was like, that was not wise. You don't know if anybody was following them yeah. or anything. Yeah. That was not wise. So, so yeah, you bring them to the church and we'll get them situated. Mm. Um, but I think sometimes we sh- we we move out of that place where we're not really thinking. We yeah. we allow our emotions to drive our actions. Mm. Yeah. Right. And not really realizing that there could be something else. Never because never in my head did I think, okay, somebody's gonna come banging on the door. Right. You know, somebody could have followed us, you know. None of that ever crossed my mind. Mm. Yeah. You know, so I think one of the things that I've, I've really taken out of this conversation is, is, is also be wise when you're when you're attempting to rescue someone and and, and even ask yourself if, if that's a situation you need to be a rescue in. Yeah. That you even need to help in. Right. Because now, you know, talking to you guys now, I'm kind of looking at Casey going, OK, you know what? Casey didn't ask her for any help. Casey said, I want to get something to eat. That's what she asked for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, the flip side of this, of course, is that there are people who are down at rock bottom and need that level of intervention every blue moon where somebody has to suspend their fear of danger and do something yeah. like that. Take you into their home for a night to help you get from pillar to post. But um, biblically, even when Peter smote the guy's ear off mm-hmm. for Jesus, mm-hmm. Jesus was like, Peter, you're doing the most right now. He put the guy's ear back yeah. on. I did not yeah. ask for Ask-ing that yeah. level of advocacy and help. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> let me fix. He literally had to rewind. Like, let me fix this. Let yeah. me put your ear back on. Peter, let's have a talk. I appreciate the advocacy. Mm-hmm. However, I got this. Yeah. I got mm. it. Right. Right. Wisdom. Yeah. Right. Wisdom. Wisdom is the thing, right? Good. That's good. Wisdom is the thing. All right, ladies, final thoughts. So my final thoughts would be um, to watch as well as pray. And when I say watch, not just with your eyes, but with your ears, allow yourself the opportunity to discern and to really listen to um, people that you encounter that you may assess need help. Mm. Really watch. Um, Watch what they're saying. Watch what they're doing. Watch what they are crying out for. And then pray for them. Mm. You know, that may be all that you can do in the moment is Mm. pray for them. Even if you leave their presence, that may be the most powerful thing that you have to offer them in that moment because they may not be even in a position or in a place that they are really asking for help or that they are knowing what to ask for. And so in praying for them, it allows the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work on that person. 
to get them to a place where maybe they'll be able to say, okay, I need help. And then you offer services or whatever it is that they are asking for. And then just be um, wise, like you all said, be wise in in it all. So watch as well as pray would be my last words. I love it. Mm -hmm. And learn to sit with the uncomfortable Mm. (laughs) and not be so quick to fix Fix, every situation that feels uncomfortable Mm. because it is truly through discomfort that most of us grow. Yeah. Yes, that's true. (laughs) We grow very little when we're comfortable. Mm -hmm. We, We rest when we're comfortable. We find joy when we're comfortable and peace, but growth comes through discomfort. Mm -hmm. So being able to sit with somebody else's discomfort as well as your own and be curious about why you're so uncomfortable that you need to go in and fix and switch some things around is really important. Mm -hmm. And to what you were saying, I think sometimes too, we have to realize that we have to allow people to sit in their discomfort. Yeah. 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 You know, because like you said, that that's their learning period. That that could be part of their healing. That could be part of their, um, you know, trauma releases. They got to sit in their discomfort, you know, long enough. You've, you've got to be able, we've got to allow them to wallow with the pigs long enough mm. to say enough is enough. Mm, yeah. yeah. Then right? when they get out, they'll stay out. <laughs> they'll stay out. Right. Yeah. But if, but if we keep running over there, helping them because their discomfort is making us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We're doing them a disservice. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Wow. Mm. As always, ladies, great conversation. Tell everybody where they can hook up with you if they have any questions, um, if they're interested in services you provide. um, Tell everybody where they can hook up with you, ladies. For coaching and counseling services, you can go online to covenanttherapy.com. You'll find me and my practice and uh, other helpful resources like articles as well. And then you can also catch me on Facebook and Instagram as Weena Wise or go to the group practice page at Covenant Counseling or Covenant Therapy. And for me, Renee, you can just meet me at meditationalmoment.com where I offer life coaching, counseling, and just a space of meditation where we can get our anxiety and worries all taken care of. And so I'm also on Instagram under the meditational moment name. Thank you. Thanks so much, ladies. I will talk to you for episode three. Episode three, we're going to um, pull out a scene from men in the barbershop talking about love and relationships and women. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> barbershop talk. Woo. <laughs> you know how they talk. Yes. I'll see you, talk to you for episode three, ladies. Bye. All right. Bye. bye. Thoughts, comments, and observations by the host, coaches, counselors, and therapists are not to be construed as personal advice or direction. Thanks for listening to another creatively powerful and engaging episode of The Griot's Remedy. Be sure to tune in next week for new insight and discussion that gives you some things to consider as you take a look in your proverbial mirror. The Griot's Remedy, where fiction mirrors real life and everything is up for discussion. Your host is E. Claudette Freeman. Connect with her at www.eclaudetteliterary.com. For the Griot's Remedy episode, cast, panel, advertising, or resource information, email us at bookloudly at pecantreebooks.com. 
or find us at www.pecantrybooks.com. 